This is the Bill Kelly Show podcast. And our uh, CHML coverage continues on uh, our program this morning. Uh, we'll hear from opposition critics about uh, the budget that was tabled yesterday. But before we get to all that, let's uh, go right to the uh, minister himself, uh, Ontario Finance Minister Charles Souza, who delivered the budget, joins us right now on the Bill Kelly Show. Mr. Souza, good morning. Welcome back to the show. Good morning. Thank you. Good to have you with us again today. Let's uh, talk a little bit about the approach, and maybe uh, I'll, I'll deal with uh, the criticism I know that you've heard in the past, Charles, and uh, certainly over the last uh, 18 hours or so, is the uh, the accusations from the uh, the opposition parties at this stage that, yeah, they say it's a balanced budget, but this is just a shell game because you borrowed from here, borrowed from here, took the money from here, and it's not really balanced. How do you respond to that? That's ludicrous. I mean, we've been at this for a number of years. We've been disciplined and determined to balance by 1718. We've taken the necessary steps to control spending and and stimulate and grow our economy. It's a function of our revenue and our expenses to get to the bottom line. And we have a stronger economy. We've uh, done what's necessary to come to balance. And we're balancing this year, next year, and the year after that. We've exceeded our targets year over year. And I am, and it's not me, it's the people of Ontario that have been working hard throughout the recession to ensure that we create those jobs. And we have 700,000 net new jobs. That's creating economic prosperity in our, in our economy. You did mention this yesterday, but it bears repeating as well that even the Conference Board of Canada now is suggesting the Ontario economy will lead the, uh, the country again. Absolutely. And the Conference Board of Canada has assessed the, the, of, uh, the integrity of our numbers year over year as well. Uh, everything is, uh, is, un- is transparent, and we recognize that we have to take steps to control spending, manage our debt, at the same time investing the things that matter to the people. What about that debt? Uh, that, that's one of the other concerns, again, that have been raised by a number of people, uh, Minister, that, that, yeah, the books look balanced, but at the same time the debt has increased. In other words, there's, there's money going out for infrastructure projects, and they're concerned about revenues and the, def- and the debt, not the deficit, but the debt that gr- seems to be growing here in the province. I understand the first uh, step to address debt is to balance the books and eliminate the deficit, and that's what we're doing. We're also taking uh, the necessary uh, concerns to manage a debt as a function of our economy. Our economy has grown. It is one of the largest subnational economies in the world at $800 billion. And that debt to our GDP is around 37.8%. It's trailing down. It's improving. And that compares favorably to 54% in other parts of Canada, 80 and 100% in other parts of the world. We must manage our debt, but we must also invest in things that matter. 100% of every dollar we borrow goes to invest in schools and hospitals, roads and bridges. And those are important initiatives as well. Is if Every time any government, I guess, does a budget, the, the expectation, or I guess maybe the hope is that, okay, it's steady as she goes, uh, economic uh, barometers are going to stay pretty much static for the next little while. At least you hope they will anyway. But there are some storm clouds uh, to the south of us, obviously, with the president talking about tariffs and cross-border tariffs and things of this nature. If those happen, are you concerned about the impact that's going to have on the Ontario economy? Well, it's always important to build prudence into our plan. So we look at our revenues. We actually take an average of independent economists, and we taper it down. And I build prudence into, into the budget every year in case of extraordinary circumstances so that we can weather those shocks. We must always overcome those challenges. And we lock in our rates for long-term, 30 to 40 years, at low cost so that we can also weather any unforeseen circumstances with interest rate shocks. All of that is built into our plan. 
Let's talk a little bit about some of the particulars in the budget. Uh, increased health care for the first time in a number of years. Uh, although, again, the criticism is, well, the, the, the overall amount that's being uh, used here in this budget is, is insufficient for what's happened over the last little while. Let's, let's talk about the commitment to, to health care and where that money is going to be going. It's historic amounts of support for health care. $11.5 billion more is going into health over the next three years for operating. We're actually investing additional amounts for uh, capital funding, and that's another $9 billion for new hospitals. In Hamilton, that means health sciences is actually going to get in a huge infusion to increase capacity, improve operating. Our operating budget for our hospitals is going up another 3%, and that's an additional $518 million. That is about improving the care people need where and where they need it. And the growing demands of demographic changes within the region, within Hamilton, is being afforded and accommodated by our increases. What about uh, the other parts of the health care system? Primary care hospitals, obviously, is the thing I guess, Mr. Minister, that most people think of. But the concern being raised uh, by your government and your own health minister, too, are things like long-term care facilities, hospice care, things of that nature. How's the government addressing that? Yeah, we're, we're investing $1.3 billion in reducing wait times, for example, uh, for specialists, for home and community care services where people can get care more at home, improving surgeries, faster supports for hips and knees. And when it comes to um, dementia strategy and long-term care, we're infusing another $58 million to encourage the redevelopment of 30,000 more beds. Caregiver tax credits are being, uh, being provided, a number of initiatives. More importantly, we're, we're hiring more frontline service to accommodate the needs of the people and our seniors. Uh, that's all part of our health care strategy, but a big part of our health care, of course, is a universal pharm- uh, care for our young people. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, I raised a few eyebrows when you brought that up during the budget uh, d- announcement yesterday, Mr. Minister. Uh, give us a, maybe a, a thumbnail sketch of exactly what this is going to be all about. Certainly. We, uh, for the last two years, have been working on this, and uh, uh, we've been advocating for a national pharmacare for Canada. This is the first of its kind now in Canada, right here in Ontario. Every individual, every young person under the age of 24 will now get free prescription, no deductible, no copayment. 4,400 drugs are going to be provided, especially those complex illnesses and cancer treatments, which go above and beyond the essential drug plan. And it's a first step. And we're very proud to be able to provide it equally as a universal system for everyone under 24. It'll build on those that are seniors, 65 and over, as well. How did you arrive at that number, that 24 years of age and under? We're arriving, well, we're looking at, especially the young people as they move into the workplace, many times they won't have any of the benefit plans as it now exists for most people who are in, well, actually, most people don't have a plan. That's part of the problem as yeah, well. Yeah, absolutely. Young, some, young people certainly don't, and we want to be certain that none of them are hard done by. We want to make sure they all have the privileges necessary equally. And, it's just the transition into the workplace that we picked. In a broader sense, uh, Mr. Minister, you, as I'm sure you're aware, Canada is the only country in the world right now with universal health care that doesn't include pharmacare in that. Uh, they were looking to, to your government and I guess to every provincial government, and hopefully it's someday maybe even the federal government, to have a broad-based uh, pharmacare program like that. Is, is, is that in the, in the cards? Is that something that you're shooting for here? Because a lot of people are saying, hey, 24 and under, that's, that's great, but what about everybody else? Yeah, so we have 24 and under, and we have 65 and over. And Ontario, as you've mentioned, is the, is the first in Canada to do so. We are pushing forward 
try to encourage a national program for everyone. It's important, and uh, we will continue to advocate for that. A uh, little bit of money. I know that your time is tight, but very quickly about infrastructure. And I, I know that uh, we, we've just had a discussion here in Hamilton. I know you're fully aware of that about LRT and, and $1.2 billion uh, for infrastructure and an LRT system as well. But over and above that, how does the government address the infrastructure deficit that all of the mayors have talked to you about? Yeah, and we're investing again more in infrastructure and in transit. Those are some of the choices we make to uh, improve our competitiveness long term. We need to have a uh, an interconnection, a network right throughout the Southern Corridor, and Hamilton is essential uh, to be a hub throughout that process. That's why we are investing heavily in the LRT and in GO and in other rail and uh, highways and roads and trying to ensure that we get goods to market more quickly and we get people to and from home more safely. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. All the best, and thank you. Take care. That's uh, Ontario Minister of Finance, uh, Charles Souza, uh, who delivered the budget, of course, at Queen's Park yesterday. Uh, it has met with, uh, well, as you might expect, uh, some skepticism, I guess, as you might call from the opposition parties. Uh, to that end, I want to bring Vic, Vic Fidelia. Vic, of course, is the Conservative MPP for Nipissing, and he is the finance critic for the Progressive Conservative Party in the opposition party, the uh, the legislature, and uh, he joins us here on the Bill Kelly Show. Morning, Vic. How are you doing today? Good morning, Bill. How are you? Great. Glad you've got some time for us today. Why don't you uh, give us your, first of all, overall view of what you heard yesterday? Well, I think life is uh, going to be more difficult for the people of Ontario, uh, although they don't tell you this. There's $100 million in uh, new uh, taxes and new service fees uh, that will be going in. Uh, So whether you drive a car or hunt or fish or camp, uh, you'll be paying more uh, this year yet again. Um, uh, So uh, they've talked about this balanced budget, and that's, I think, the most disturbing fact uh, is that the according to the financial accountability officer, the auditor general, uh, they're using items to balance the budget that they ought not to be doing. They're they're selling the uh, OPG headquarters, they're selling the um, uh, LCBO headquarters, and then using that money in their day to day operating budget. So it's a fake balance, false balance, and I think that's. Uh, they're uh, purposely deceiving the people of Ontario. Well, even the, as you mentioned, uh, Bonnie Lissick has weighed in on this too and suggested that the bookkeeping methods are uh, questionable, I guess, is maybe one way to put it. Yeah, and that, you know, th- this is the province of Ontario. This is the same government with five OPP investigations, and now they're cooking the books as well. And that, you know, that is what makes the people of Ontario suspect. So, so why does that matter to you? Uh, it's because the, the auditor calls it the crowding out. That money that isn't there uh, is crowding out the services that we need. That's why you saw cataract surgeries cut. You saw diabetes testing strips, all of these things that have been cut by this government in the past. Uh, hospitals, uh, 1,500 nurses fired across Ontario, uh, hospitals that are overcrowded, or, or hospital beds that are closed. So let me ask you then, Vic, uh, put, yeah. let's, let's switch positions for a second. Yeah. Uh, and, and on a philosophical level, let's put you guys on the other side of the house. And, and, and here you are as finance minister of the government. What would you have done? How would you have approached this? Well, I would have listened to the Auditor General who told us uh, about billions of dollars that are mismanaged and wasted each year. So you go through her report and you act on those very things. You know, we have all the revenue. Our revenue in Ontario has increased 
uh, every single year because the province is growing. So we don't have a revenue problem in Ontario. We have a spending problem. They're spending it on the wrong things. Just I'll give you a small example, sure. but, but, but a typical example. The, the paving that we do throughout Ontario, we're talking, this isn't peanuts here, this is hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, supposed to last 15 years. The auditor said uh, they do a bit of a bait and switch after they show you what asphalt they're going to use to last 15 years. They put asphalt on it lasts two years. Uh, and so we have to repave after a couple of years. But we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars each year that's wasted there that she's pointed out. And what did the government do? They gave the contractors an $8 million bonus. So we would go in there and do a, a, a value for money of every one of the activities. And, and quite frankly, if you stop the waste, the mismanagement, and the scandals in Ontario, you'd have the money to pay for everything. Let's talk about debt for a second. And not deficit, but debt. I mean, because governments of all stripes, Vic, in the past, you know, do a little bit of a, a shell game to try to get to wherever they want vis-a-vis the deficit, balance budgets, etc. But one thing you can't really hide is, is debt. And the budget, uh, well indicated yesterday anyway that the debt here in this province is continuing to grow wow this is uh, ho- horrible uh you know when this government took office 13 years ago it took 137 years since confederation to get our debt in ontario up to 139 billion dollars well this government doubled it in 10 years and now we're at 312 billion dollars that is something that the auditor has said it's ringing alarm bells because we are the most indebted province or state in the world. And that is what's crowding out these services that we come to enjoy. That's why they had to close schools. That's why Kathleen Wynne has closed more schools than any other government in the history of Ontario. It's because they can't manage their debt. And we've got that problem going on right here in Hamilton. I know you're well aware of that, in Burlington and Hamilton, for that matter, uh, where neighborhoods and parent groups are pitted against each other right now because of a process that's in place right now that's been in place for quite some time, to be fair. But you know, whoever's sitting in that office obviously has the ability to be able to do something or revise that, and that hasn't happened as of yet. But uh, what we're looking for, I guess, is a plan B, other options then, over and above what we're doing now. Well, we've called for a moratorium on school closures. You know, as I said, they've closed more schools than any other government in the history of the province. And now they've got 300 more that they admit to be planning to close. We see the number, according to the uh, schools and the teachers and the parents, closer to 600. So we want a moratorium put on that. And again, if you manage the waste and all of the mismanagement and the scandals in Ontario, we've got the money. The revenue is there. It's been poorly allocated and poorly managed. Your comments about the uh, the Pharmacare program that uh, Mr. Souza rolled out yesterday, uh, it's uh, a... <laughs> Uh, more than, I guess, coincidental in some people's minds anyway, uh, that uh, just after Andrea Horvath, the NDP leader, uh, proposed a, a, a provincial health care program, a pharmacare program, that it seemed to be included in the budget, yet there were no numbers actually in the budget document about this. I guess some of the media folks had to do some digging uh, to find those numbers. Uh, they cast- classify this as a good first step to moving towards a, a much broader program. What are your thoughts on this? Well, a couple of uh, thoughts. First of all, uh, it's not in the budget, period. It was in the budget speech. Yeah. 
so this certainly is uh, uh, an 11th hour addition to the budget. Uh, but look, first of all, Ontarians, people in Ontario, right across Ontario, we deserve the best health care possible. We pay for it, whether it's at the doctor's office, hospitals, getting drugs. We pay for that. We deserve the best we can. But Ontario right now, under this government, we already have six different drug plans, the Trillium drug plan if you uh, have financial challenges. So this eighth drug plan they're bringing now, um, they bungled even that. Uh, if you're the kids of a millionaire family, uh, you get full drug coverage now. But the Maddie Vanstone case that we've all talked about in the media where she needs this life-saving drug, that doesn't qualify. So even though they had a chance to fix this, the drugs that are most desperately needed still don't qualify. But the, 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 the millionaire, they can now go and get their drugs. So it's frustrating that these plans don't provide Ontario uh, with best coverage. Well, that surprised me as well, that usually there's a means test for some of these things for qualifications. And uh, you wonder if they could have extended that beyond age 24 had they decided, okay, fine, it's only people that are in need of this. Because there are, uh, we just talked to Mr. Sousa a couple of minutes ago, Vic, and, and you, you know about this as well. I mean, there are millennials, there are people just starting out in the workforce right now, often under contract situations, that don't have any benefit coverage at all. And it'd be nice if you could extend that to them as well. Well, the whole thing, what's most concerning is just under these, uh, this government, right, they're not fixing the holes in the drug plan that we currently have, and this, uh, this uh, isn't going to do it either. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. Among some of the concerns, obviously, student debt, and uh, we'll get into that in greater detail in just a couple of minutes. Joining us now is uh, Andrea Horvath, leader of the Ontario New Democratic Party and, of course, uh, MPP for Hamilton. Andrea, thanks for the time. Good to have you with us today. It's always my pleasure, Bill. How are you? I'm well, thanks so much. A lot of questions about yesterday. Let's uh, roll right into this. We were just talking with uh, Vic Fidelli and the minister about, uh, well, let's focus on health care spending, first of all. Uh, They're proud of the fact that they're increasing health care spending significantly. They say a 3% increase. Uh, I'm hearing from uh, Linda Hasm-Stroud from the ONA and others that uh, nice idea, but nowhere near enough of uh, what's needed, actually, for the needs, in, especially in primary care and in, in hospitals. Well, no, and you're absolutely right. In fact, the, uh, the, just the amount in the budget was $300 million short of what the OHA, the Ontario Hospital Association, was saying was the bare minimum that they needed. And look, the damage done to hospitals was done by the Liberals. I mean, let's face it, after 14 years, uh, this government has done a lot of damage, and this budget doesn't come near uh, what's needed to, to repair the damage that's been done. What about the other facets of health care that we have talked about, uh, not just hospitals, and, and that's not to short ship what's needed in hospitals, but long-term care facilities. One of the reasons uh, that, that there we have, for instance, a problem with wait times, and I know they talked about that during the budget presentation yesterday, but one of the main reasons for that is there are people in hospital beds in those facilities that shouldn't be there. They're, they should be in long-term care facilities, they should be in hospice care, and we simply don't have enough beds. We don't have enough beds, and this budget doesn't change that, nor does it change the crisis that we continue to experience in home care. So it's both long-term care and home care that should be able to take the, the pressure off uh, of the hospitals by moving those patients uh, who don't need to be in hospital anymore into other uh, types of settings. And, and you're absolutely right. The, uh, the budget does not add new long-term care beds. Uh, it does not do anything to fix a dysfunctional home care system. Uh, and so the, uh, the crisis... And, and the crisis that we have in the hospitals is going to continue. But the other thing is, interestingly enough, I mean, you've read the Code Red reports from yep. Hamilton. Oh, yeah. You know who it is uh, in terms of income levels and demographics that are uh, that are that are 
getting primary care at the emergency wards, right? Well, those folks wouldn't be there as often if they could afford their prescription drugs. But this plan that the Liberals have put in place has completely ignored the vast majority of Ontarians who can't get their prescription drugs filled because they just can't afford it. Well, let's talk about that uh, because it's uh, coincidental, I guess, is maybe one way to describe this, Andrea, that, uh, that you made an announcement earlier this week about your proposal for a, a pharmacare program, a drug pro- prescription program, uh, and all of a sudden it's included in the budget. Now, it wasn't in the budget document, no. uh, which uh, has made some people feel that as well, maybe they kind of wrote that on the back pages of it, just uh, as Mr. Sousa was going to make the presentation. Uh, but but there is there is some statistics there. Uh, I, I question the, all of this arbitrary number of 24 years of age and under, but you, I mean, let me give me an opportunity here for you to talk about your thoughts on, on what Mr. Sousa is talking about, first of all. Well, I mean, I, so I don't, um, I don't think that young people don't need prescription drug coverage, but I think everybody does. And so the, the big difference for, for us is that uh, person who's 24 years old, when they turn 25, they're not going to be able to afford their prescription drugs anymore. So a lot of those folks are students, actually, that come out of university and college uh, that have drug plans in university and college as part of their tuition, and then they, they graduate and all of a sudden they don't have coverage anymore. So what, we've, what we did is, is take the advice of experts who said the best bang for the buck comes with uh, a universal plan that covers everybody, uh, that covers everybody for the most common ailments and the most often prescribed drugs for those ailments, uh, covering therefore over 70% of the prescription needs of the people of Ontario. And the added bonus, um, so on top of relieving you know, pressure from hospital as people uh, become uh, more, more well or more healthy, the added bonus is with 14 million Ontarians and uh, a specific budgeted amount of $475 million for the plan, that gives us tremendous bargaining power when it comes to dealing with uh, the, the pharmaceutical industry to get the cost of drugs down, because we know that we're paying far too much for our, our, our pharmaceuticals in this province already. And the only way to get, those, uh, get that bargaining power is with this kind of a plan. The criticism of your plan, and let's uh, juxtapose that with what Mr. Souza was talking about yesterday, uh, you, and you just characterized it as as those those pharmaceuticals that are most often prescribed for some of the uh, the illnesses and concerns, uh, but they feel that your plan doesn't go far enough. It's not as broad based with, in, in coverage of what actually might be needed. Well, and ours is a starting point. Ours is a, we're starting with approximately 125 of the most common drugs, but we're not ending there. I mean, this is the beginning. Uh, this is the beginning of building a, a much uh, a much more robust plan, and and with the with the goal, frankly, of having other provinces and the federal government come to the table. Because let's not forget, I mean, Mr. Uh, Prime Minister Trudeau has talked about, uh, you know, about drug coverage. He's talked about, you know, the need to help people with their prescriptions. Uh, one of the things that our plan will do is kind of help nudge the federal government in the direction of a universal pharmacare plan, just like what, Farmy, uh, what Tommy Douglas did back, uh, uh, back in Saskatchewan when he nudged other provinces and then eventually the entire country uh, to, uh, to have uh, universal Medicare. But we fell off the rails. I know we used to, you know, pat ourselves on the back years ago, Andrea, uh, that, you know, we have the best health care system in the world, but the best universal health care system in the world, we don't anymore. That's that's the reality. But uh, part of that discussion back in 1965 was supposed to be 
about a, a, a drug care program at the same time. Every yes. other country in the world that has universal health care has a drug program. Canada hasn't. We're, I'm, that's 1965, and we're we're still spinning our wheels. No, exactly, which is why we, we, we've heard, um, you know, we've heard this Minister of Health here in Ontario talk a good game uh, about pharmacare, but never actually do anything about it. In fact, in the last budget, they actually were increasing the cost of prescription drugs for, for seniors. So they were going contrary to universality in, in prescription uh, coverage. So that's why we've done what we've done, because what our plan does is it, it begins the process of bringing all of the drug coverage in. And of course, the most prudent way of doing that is with the most common, most often prescribed uh, for the most common ailments. And, and that's, that's why we're, we're proud of our plan. And we, we think it's, a, it's much more substantive and it will have many more benefits uh, than what the government plan is, uh, is uh, suggesting. Again, uh, liberals like to say, oh, 4,000 medications. But think about it, Bill. Uh, we're talking about pediatric medicine. The vast majority of those 4,000 drugs will not be of use uh, to, to children. I mean, they're not, they're not likely pediatric approved. Do you know what I'm saying? And so, uh, again, it's all about the smoke and mirrors. It's all about the political bang. Uh, but what we care about is doing the right thing for people and making sure that those one in three workers who don't have a, plan, a, a benefit plan at work will be able to fill their prescriptions, not walk out of their doctor's office with a prescription and, and then putting it on a shelf knowing that they can't afford it. I know. I saw that stat earlier today as well, one in three. And I, I quite frankly, I thought it was higher than that, uh, from anecdotally from the stories I've heard. It's going to get higher. Well, because a lot of people are working on contracts right now where they have no benefits at all. Exactly. And that's the the nature of work is changing so much that that, that it's going to get much, much worse. And that's why it's time uh, to get this done now for everybody. All right. I've got a couple of minutes left here. Let's talk about daycare. Uh, I've I've always been a proponent of of the national daycare program. And again, the Prime Minister is making noises about bringing that back, uh, which is good news, but it hasn't happened as of yet. Uh, I don't like the idea of tax credits for daycare because I don't think that helps anybody on a daily or a weekly basis, uh, you know, to be able to fill something out at the end of April and think that's going to tide you through the the rest of the year. Uh, th- they have said they're going to put more money and create more spaces. Talk to us about about what you would do. What what What's your plan to try to alleviate what I think is becoming a crisis here? Well, I mean, it's becoming a crisis. In Ontario, we pay the highest child care costs uh, uh, in the country. And in fact, in Toronto, it's it's the worst, uh, the worst, uh, I think, uh, anywhere. Uh, but it's it's high in Hamilton and it's high in, uh, you know, in, in Kitchener and it's high in Windsor. I mean, let's face it, we, it's it's too expensive for families to be able to afford. One of the things I'm concerned about is that as the government, uh, you know, makes the claims of the 1,000 or 100,000 new spaces and now they're talking about increased subsidies, uh, which is fine, um, but what, what we're not doing is taking the profit out. So one of the problems that I have is when, when these really fundamental human services to our most vulnerable people, whether they be seniors in home care or whether they be um, children in, in child care, I don't think we should be uh, having a, a profit motive behind the delivery of those services. And we've seen international child care companies go belly up and leave thousands of parents in the lurch. Uh, that's why we think that the, the public money will go further uh, in a public uh, system or at least in a system that's not for profit. So that's one of the big big changes we would make is we would, any new money that's going out the door, I mean, you can't, you know, businesses that exist now, you can't arbitrarily shut them down. And, or, that's just not fair. But uh, any new money going out the door should go to not-for-profit, uh, not-for-profit child care. And, and that's one of the big things that uh, we would change. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML.